0: William Booth lived from 1829 to 1912, 83 years of age, and he was a powerhouse. He was ostracized from the church in his day because he took the songs of the world and put Christian lyrics to them, and they said that he shouldn't be using secular music. Uh, they banned him from preaching in the pulpits because he dared have the audacity to say that God loved sinners. That was blasphemy. God only loved the chosen frozen. You know, how could that be? But he, he went after the lost. He went after the, 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 the beaten up and the, and the broken and the down and out. He went after lost people. And so he, he was ostracized, but, but he started the Salvation Army. And what I like about him was him and his wife. It was, it was William and Catherine Booth. Together they pioneered. The, the more I studied William Booth, the more I began to see uh, how, how he, he was like an awakened pastor 150 years before awaken. Yeah. He's just Amazing. So today we we we're, we're, we're in a building that used to be the Salvation Army's building and I don't count it as a light thing because I know that there are people who were Salvation Army converts and Salvation Army adherents that had the, the, the last trickles, the, the, the last remnants of the original mantle, the original anointing, the original power that they had, who gave their savings, who, who gave their, their retirement investings, who gave their, their children's college tuitions, who, who gave all that they had so that this property could be used to, to further the vision of being a Salvation an army. Well, there's a mantle that's here that we're picking up. Now, let me just say this. If you've been around any kind of motivational seminar or success seminar, you'll hear the words legacy. And, and, and just want to help you with that. Uh, a lot of people say, man, I just want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy to my children." And it's become a very noble statement. I need you to understand that, that God doesn't ask us to leave legacies. Men leave legacies The kingdom imparts legacies. You impart a legacy. You don't leave a legacy. You impart a legacy. Men build monuments to their legacy. God leaves a mantle to be picked up. Elijah left a legacy by example of what he did, but there was a mantle. There wasn't a monument. Elijah didn't build a monument to his legacy that he left. No, he left a mantle that could be picked up so that Elisha could operate in the same anointing, in fact, a double portion of the anointing to carry on the ministry. Men build monuments. God gives mantles. When Jesus went up to heaven, he said, don't be afraid. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm about to put a mantle. I'm about to leave. I'm about to impart to you a legacy. Wait in Jerusalem. You're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And the miracles that I did, you'll do even greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. Right now, I'm one amongst all of you. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, you'll be baptized with power and you'll operate in power. And it'll be like I'm with every single one of you living in you. God is a generational God, is what I'm trying to say. God is a generational God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we we live in a time where there is a mantle that we're picking up. We're not just picking up a property. We're not just adding the property to our portfolio. No, no, no. We recognize it's something very, very sacred. This is holy ground. That's why we wanted to dedicate it today as a holy ground. And I'm telling you, it will be known as a place of miracles, a place of transformation a place of breakthrough. It'll be a place that pushes back the powers of darkness and brings in the kingdom of God. Can somebody say amen? So that was point number one. Point number two. So I've got six quotes from William Booth, only six. I had to reduce it just because of time. And uh, I'm going to get through all of these in the name of Jesus. Number one, or number two, sorry, is the prophetic, the prophetic. Have a look at this quote by William Booth. I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God. just want to drop the mic there. (laughs) Politics without God and heaven without hell. When I when I read that it, it just jumped out I thought oh my gosh he, he was a prophet he saw what was happening he saw the, he was a discerner of the times the church has to be a prophetic voice yeah. what, what is what does it mean to be a prophetic voice it's very very simple that that the, the, we p- position ourselves so that we are the ear of heaven and the mouth of heaven yeah. uh, uh, e- Elisha comes upon a woman in just a few chapters, that uh, couldn't have a baby, and then she had a baby. But when that boy was 10, he went out in the field and collapsed in the field and died. And so the woman takes him and puts him on the bed, and then Elisha, since he's serving Gehazi with with his staff, he says, go lay the staff on the boy's face. And the Bible says that Gehazi went with the, the, the staff, and when he laid it on the boy nothing happened and when elisha turns up to the house he says did the boy uh, you know awake did he did he resurrect and gehazi says to elisha no uh, the child has not awoken awaken awoken he says there's neither voice nor hearing he didn't say there's neither pulse nor heartbeat wow. if you're in the medical profession you, 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 and you come across someone, you, the first thing you do is you check for a pulse and you look for breath. But heaven doesn't measure life the way earth does. Heaven doesn't, doesn't have the same measurement. Heaven says, no, the child has not awoken. There's neither voice nor hearing. There are many, many churches that may have a pulse, They may even have the breath of God in them. But the way that God measures whether they're alive or whether they're dead is, is their voice and is their hearing. Our assignment is to hear from heaven and speak it. Hear from heaven and speak it. Whatever word comes from heaven overcomes things in the earth. Heaven is eternal, the earth is temporal. And God's eternal word always overcomes what's temporal. My beautiful bride made an incredible, incredible prophetic statement as she does on a regular basis. She said this coming into 2020. She says, when the uh, church loses her voice, the world loses its way. When the church loses its voice, the world loses its way. We live in a time where there is crazy. It is crazy. And it's because in 2020, churches backed up. Churches, Churches reclined. 2020, if you add 20 and 20, becomes 40. 40 is test. Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. There was 40 years they wandered through the desert. Moses, 40, uh, Noah, 40 days, 40 nights. You'll always see 40 to do with test and tribulation. 2020, we should have realized it was a test, and it was God testing. God was testing. He was measuring how much truth and how much courage it remains in his pulpits. And sadly, you know, there was uh, there was a deficiency of truth and courage in the pulpits. Men decided to throw out courage and Get rid of truth just to try to appease, to acquiesce a fallen, broken culture. And you need to understand when the church steps back from truth, it doesn't just remain empty. That, that, that cavity is filled by lies, lies that there are 67 genders, lies, that, you know, that, that come in that say two plus two isn't four. They're right now trying to change. They're trying to say that math is white supremacist, systemically racist, that two and two can also be five, and how dare you say that two and two is four. Just don't, don't drive on a bridge that these people have put together if they believe that two and two can be five. Just don't go, if they say, hey, we just built this building, say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go in. Just. <laughs> we, we live in a time where the, the world's mind has been so open, their brains have fallen out. But the church has to rise up because when the, when the truth comes, lies disintegrate. Satan hates the truth because he, he is a liar and his entire kingdom is fabricated, fostered, and, and held together by lies. And so every truth disintegrates his kingdom. That's why he hates the truth. That's why he'll, he'll persecute truth tellers. He'll, he'll have them banned from Twitter, Facebook, Facebook. Instagram, he'll, get, he'll, he'll try and lock them up. He'll persecute. But we've decided in this house, we're going to be prophetic. We're going to tell the truth. We're going to preach the gospel. We're just going to tell. Come on. How many people know I didn't write the Bible? I didn't write it, so I do not get to change it. But he enlisted me to preach his word, and his word is life. His word is life. All right, next quote. Number three is invading the impossible. In this In this house, you're going to find yourself. What used to be impossible is now your next assignment. What used to be impossible is now your next mission. This year, honey, our mission is we're going to invade the impossible. Look at this. God loves with a great love the man whose heart is bursting with a passion for the impossible. Can I just say that that when, when you and I get to heaven, when you and I get to heaven, I don't want to get to heaven and God says, "Yergs, what did you do on earth? And I'm just like, well, <laughs> I just did what I could. <laughs> just did what I could. No, 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 no. Life's too short. When I get to heaven, I, 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 I want to be able to look at God and say, I, I did what I couldn't. Yeah. Wow. Because your power. Wow. Like e- even now, when I look at like eight campuses, I'm not that smart, Honestly. <laughs> Ask my school teachers. <laughs> Ask the deputy principal who wrote to my parents and say, it's probably better. He doesn't take school seriously. It's probably better that you, I'm not this smart, but I do know something that you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth, that you can actually live in a place where, where, because, you know, epitaphs. Epitaphs is, you know, what people say after you're gone. I only want two words on my tombstone. On my tombstone I want the word wow. Because even, even if someone's dyslexic they can still read it. Wow, 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 wow. I want the word wow and then right next to it, rhymes with it, I want the word how. I want people that, that grew up with me going How? I made better grades than him. I was smarter than him. How did he do? And then they're going to know with the wow and the how that it wasn't me, that there was a supernatural power at work. In this place, we want you to partner with God. Don't do life for God. Do life with God. One of the greatest traps the devil gets religious people into is, I'm doing this for God. 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 You can be so busy for God that you can miss God. That was my early years of ministry. I was doing all this stuff for God, and God's like, yeah, well, I haven't seen you in months. I'm like, what? I'm doing all this stuff for you. I'm burnt out. And he's like, yeah, exactly, because I didn't ask you to do it for me. I asked you to do it with me. The Bible says we're co-laborers with Christ. So I want you to understand, in this house, we want to get you hooked up to the most powerful being in the entire cosmos. He spoke and created the heavens and the earth and that power is still available to you today. And when that power gets a hold of you, you start invading the impossible. You'll start marrying way out of your league, John Soriano. you start <laughs> prospering and flourishing and making beautiful families. <laughs> Invade the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Number four. I've got to stay on track. Stay on track. Number four. Numero cuatro, sustainable revival. Look at this one. This, this one always reminds me of your pastor, Pastor John Heinrichs. I am not waiting for a move of God, I am a move of God. Bam! I'm not waiting for a move of God, I am a move of God. That's the hammer time right there. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, this was the commentary, they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And then the Bible says, and when they examined these men, they went, huh, these are are untrained, uneducated men, and yet they are turning the world upside down. And then they realized, these have been with Jesus. The mark that somebody has been with Jesus, I'm not saying somebody who's been religious, I'm saying somebody who has been with Jesus, is that, my God, these people turn, they, they exceed their pay grade, they exceed their educational level, they exceed every, every limitation that the world has put on them. Your life should be in, in that place. One of my favorite, bio, uh, favorite Christian heroes was a guy called John G. Lake. John G. Lake from Spokane, Washington, he went to, he went to Africa as a missionary, and, uh, and he had one suit, and he'd wear that suit, and every day it was a white suit, and he'd put the suit on, and he would look in the mirror, and this would be his confession before he would go out. He'd look in the mirror, and he'd say, God loves the man in that suit. God is with the man in that suit. Where that suit goes, the man goes. Where that man goes, God goes. God loves the man in that suit. At that particular time in Africa, they were, they were drawing people back to the United Kingdom and back to America missionaries because of the outbreak of the bu- bubonic plague. People would die. It die. It was devastating. It was like literally millions of people were dying. John G. Lake didn't leave he stayed and in fact it was the the disease was so bad the plague was so bad that when people died they just left their their decomposing corpses in the streets Well, John G. Lake felt like it was his ministry obligation to find out who these people, these deceased people were, and then give them a proper burial and bury them, not just for sanitation, but even so that people could have closure and people could weep and mourn. And so he would find that out. Well, it gets all the way back to the United Kingdom and to the United States of America that there's some missionary, there's some man, some crazy man who is picking up people who died of the bubonic plague, carrying their corpus, knocking on doors, finding out, and then burying them, and he has not contracted the bubonic plague so they go down to to Africa and they say sir we believe that maybe there's something in your your genetics there's something in your body that has given you immunity and if we could just do some tests we could do some blood tests maybe we think that we could take that and we could you know vaccinate people we could you know help people to overcome and he said oh listen he says you can do all the tests you like I know it's got nothing to do with my blood it's the blood of Jesus Christ and they're like ha 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 yeah look yeah like, you know, we, we honor you with your, with your religious virtues, but we're men of science. We're men of science. He said, all right. He says, I'll let you do the test, providing you let me do one test with you. And they're like, well, what is it? He says, I'll tell you when you've done the test. So they took his saliva and they, they did studies with his blood and with his immunity and with his... They did every test. Everything coming. They, they were scratching their heads like, we, we, can't, we can't figure it out. And so then John G. Lake says, listen, take some of the saliva from that, that dead corpse and put it into my hand. They said, sir, we can't do that, we can't do that. Because it's literally like signing your your, your death sentence. He says, well, I'll sign a piece of paper basically abdicating you guys from any responsibility. So they made him sign a release form. And then he says, take some of the saliva, put it on a glass first and make sure you see the plague. They put it on on one of those little glass slides and they looked down and they saw, they said, sir, the the plague, it's multiplying even in the saliva. He says, now put it in my hand. They're like, sir, we advise you not to. Puts it in his hand. And then he does this. He lifts his hand. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I curse the bubonic plague. And then he put it back under the microscope. He says, now tell me what you see. And as they zeroed in, every single cell was dead. I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. The church, the the, the city of San Diego doesn't need another church that spouts religion. The city of San Diego needs a church with power. We didn't travel all the way from Australia to give San Diego what it's already got. We came with some power. We didn't come waiting for a move of God. We came to be a move of God. Can somebody say amen? People always talk about, people always talk about. You know, we're praying for revival, praying for revival, Pastor. We're praying. And that's what I did when you asked Leanne when we first got, got, you know, we used to go to prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting was, all right, we're going to shout to the North, North, we command you give up all the people. We speak to the South, South, we declare people come. We speak to the East, people come. We speak to the, and we would spit on each other and prophesy. And then we'd dance, and <laughs> revival's coming, woo, and we'd leave. We're like, man, you know, all right, God, we did our bit hola, you know, like we're waiting for God to do his, why why is God so reluctant to send revival? And then God's like, because I sent my only begotten son as a lamb to be slaughtered, butchered by the Gentiles, crucified on a cross. He gave his life. Then he went into hell crushed the devil's head, took the keys of death, took the keys of hell, and then phew, rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering hell, destroying the works of the devil. Then he appears for 40 days to his disciples with many infallible proofs, teaching them the things of the kingdom of God. Then he ascends, sits at the right hand of the Father, Tag says, Holy Ghost, you're it. Phew, Holy Ghost comes down, phew, power on the church. The church gets empowered. It's like, and now what, what else do you want me to do? He's yeah. like, I think it's your turn. So we, we, we just decided, we just decided that we're just going to kind of take the Bible literally. When Jesus says, now you've received power, go into all the world and make disciples. So what we do is we just go and make disciples, and they make disciples, and they, and so every building that we get, God fills, and it just keeps, and we have to keep buying buildings, because at Balboa, for the last 20 months, we've been in overflow in the 10, and then overflow in the 12, and overflow in any special event, so we knew we needed to believe God for another building, and God just keeps doing this, because we're not believing for revival, we're in a sustainable revival, <laughs> revival is happening, <laughs> somebody say Amen. Cinque, cinque for my Italian friends, is discipleship. Discipleship. This is what William Booth said. He says, to get a man soundly saved, it is not enough to put on him a pair of new breeches, to give him regular work or even to give him a university education. These things are all outside of a man. And if the inside remains unchanged, you have wasted your labor. You must in some way or other Graft upon the man's nature a new nature which has in it the element of the divine. Discipleship is is the empowerment and the development of Christ in you. That that's that's what it is. You you should notice this. Galatians says that uh, the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. These are contrary to another, so you don't do the things that you want. I found that when I got born again, I was born again. I was going to heaven, but so much of my, my memory, my, my, my defaults were still the things of the world. I was still addicted to drugs and alcohol and sleeping with girls, like still addicted to all these sins. But all of a sudden, there was a, there was a, there was a, a, a new spirit in me. And I remember going to my girlfriend's place and driving home just like, why, why do I all of a sudden feel, ah? Why, why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel because I was now born again? When you're born again, the Christ nature comes in you. And the Christ nature is a life nature. The Bible says the works of the flesh lead to death. The wages of sin is death. You may be in sin, but the time's coming where payday that's what wages is. You labor and then on the first and the fifteenth of the month the wages turn up. Well, the wages of sin well I'm not, I'm not Well it's coming. But you don't want to, you don't want to receive that paycheck. The wages, but the spirit brings life. And so we want you to, we want to empower you. Discipleship is about teaching you how to walk with the spirit of life that's in God. And I'm telling you, every time I've said no to the flesh and said yes to the spirit, elevation. Every time I said no to the flesh, yes to the spirit, promotion. Every time, life, freedom. There's a truth that you can't be delivered from something you're unwilling to repent of. But repentance only can come where you realize, oh, my gosh, there's a conflict in me. My flesh wants this. My flesh craves this. But the Spirit of God says, I've got greater for you. I've got better for you. I've got higher for you. And so you know what, God? I'm actually going to break agreements and break alignments and break contracts that I've made with this thing. And I'm going to renew. I'm going to get. That's what repentance is. And that's where power comes. All of a sudden, you find yourself free from lust. And you find yourself free from greed and free from bitterness and free from alcohol and free from drug addiction it's the power of repentance that's what happens in discipleship so we're a discipleship church because we want you to reflect Christ in the earth we want you to reflect God we want you to have the best that God has and so that's discipleship now if I was honest with you discipleship uh, is is the key to Christianity it's the key A lot of people, when we first started the church, Pastor Morgan would say, hey, we're coming to your church. We just left this big church, and we're coming to your church because we're just looking for a smaller church. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Like at some point, everybody coming from the big church to my little church, the little church is going to become the big church, and then do they just go back because now it's little again? And then them going back, do they ruin it because then it becomes big, and everyone's, and, you know, like is this just... and, and, and God said to me, actually, you don't need to worry about that. What people are looking for is connection. They feel lost. They feel disconnected in a big church. He says, the reason that happens is because that they've forsaken the Great Commission. The Great Commission is discipleship. Go into all the world and make disciples. He says, if every person is being discipled, if every person has connection and is being developed, empowered, and discipled, before we started the church, I, I did a 40-day fast, and the reason I did a 40-day fast is I was hoping that one 40-day fast would clear out all the cobwebs, because I, I knew that God was calling us to San Diego, but I felt sorry for San Diego, because they were getting me. And so I thought, well, if I can just, you know, clear out all the, the ugly parts of me, then I can come and, you know, serve God. And and it did, it kind of broke a whole lot of stuff, which is always good, but but. The first 10 days are hell. First 10 days, oh dear God. I could smell a KFC seven miles away. <laughs> KFC's open, KFC's open. Oh yeah, look at that. 11 a.m. You know, it's like I could smell. I could smell. Don't. Could- it was just anyway. But the last, the last ten, the last ten were cra- crazy. The last ten every night I'd go to sleep and I'd have the most vivid dreams. This one night I'm, I'm dreaming and I'm preaching and I, I know that I'm preaching to the future. And we had pews, which is amazing that I'm standing here looking at. But as I'm preaching, you know, you know when you're in a dream, you're you're, you're like, you are just kind of locked. You like, you know, you can't narrate it. You're just in the dream. Like you didn't you 're just in the, and so I'm in and so I'm preaching and as I'm preaching people are going whoa, whoa. and I'm like oh my dear uh, like how rude and I'm trying to preach and people are groaning and moaning and I, and I and I'm still preaching you know you're locked in you can't con- and so I'm preaching and then I look and and there are there are women standing up and they've got their hands on the, the pew in front and they're, they're pregnant and they're, it's like they're in they're, they're about to you know be in childbirth they're travailing in in labor pains so, and I was, I'm praying, I'm like, dear God. And then I look out again. And now the men, men are standing up on, and the men are pregnant. And I'm trying to get out of the dream. But you can't get out of the dream because you're locked in. You're locked in. You can't. And so I'm looking now and I'm still preaching. I'm like, why are you still preaching? Like, for goodness sake, you know, get them to a hospital or something. This is great. And so I keep preaching. And then all of a sudden I have x-ray eyes and I can see inside the tummies and the tummies were massive. And they weren't like little, you know, three months, six months. They were like four-year-olds and seven-year-olds and ten-year-olds. And and, people, ah! and the groaning was... And so finally I woke up. I'm like, oh, dear God. Wow, that was just crazy. And God said to me, that's San Diego. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He goes, that's your assignment. I said, you want me to break a spirit of abortion? And he's like, oh, myself. He's like, did you see his spirit of abortion? I'm like, That's all we learn in Bible college. He goes, no, no, no. He says, I'm sending you to San Diego to be a midwife. A what? A midwife. You mean a midman. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no midwife. He said, he said, because the predominant culture in the church in America is the man of God. He's the man of God. This Sunday, you're going to hear from pastor. Pastor's preaching live at Beho, but it's going to be broadcast, simulcast to all the other locations because he doesn't trust any of the plebs at the other locations. What do these people possibly have to say? He's the only man of God. (laughs) And so, so he's like, I don't want you to do that. He says, your assignment when you get to San Diego is I want you to see the giftings, the callings, the anointings that are in my people, and many of them are sitting in pews, and many of them are sitting in church seats but there's no room because the pastor has to be the center of attention. The pastor has to be the pony doing all the new tricks. And there's no room. And if anybody, threat- if anybody comes up with a gifting or an anointing or whatever they're immediately crushed or driven, he says, not you. He says, when you get to San Diego, you find the gold in people. Now, here's the key to discipleship. To get to the gold, you've got to move dirt. How many people have ever been in a lazy river and you're kind of in the lazy river, going, man, this is awesome. And then a gold bar floated by. and You're like, oh, what? Is, honey, we're going out for dinner. And never happened. Or well, how many people are kind of walking along and you see a gold bar on the side of the road and you're like, I'm going to come back tomorrow and pick that up. Gold doesn't float in rivers or, or sit on the side of the road. It has to be mined. To get to the gold, you've got to move a lot of dirt, a lot of debris, a lot of hard granite and rock, some clay. Discipleship, if you'll allow it, it's, and it's a faith trust. Can you trust these pastors? Can you trust these leaders to talk to you about your dirt? My dirt, you want to you all do it? Ah, oh, you've got as much dirt. Whoa, whoa, settle down there. Discipleship is allowing people to come in Now, listen, if they only want to point out your dirt, and if they don't see the gold, they have no right to speak to you. If they don't see the gold, they have no right to point out the dirt. But when people say, there's gold in you, but you've got to let me deal with this dirt. You've got to let me deal with this rock. You've got to let me deal with this. That's discipleship. That's what we do. What am I up to? Number six? Uh Uh-oh. All right, number six. Number six is, oh, I love this one, the empowerment of women. The empowerment of women. Some of my best men are women. In a misogynistic, male dominant, it's just amazing how, you know, the, the, the women too often were, were discarded, put off to the side. Jesus was the greatest elevator and empowerer of women. William Booth did the ministry with his wife, Catherine Booth. Some of his greatest preachers, some of his greatest ministers were women. One of the biggest things they told me when we moved here, Pastor Jenny, was, Hey, hey, yeah, and we watched a video of you and your wife. Yeah, don't do that here. Don't do that here. Yeah, yeah. If you want to build a church in San Diego, yeah, don't let your don't let your wife preach. I'm like, okay. First thing I did was, Liennie, we got you on the preaching roster on this day, on this day, and on this day. Because Galatians 3.28, have, have a look what it says. If we can throw the Galatians one up. Galatians, I'm pretty sure it's 3.28. Yep, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So this this misogynistic, chauvinistic, well, the Bible says a woman shouldn't teach her. I'm a funny, a man. Exactly. Just calm down. Um, when... Pastor Leanne preaches, when Pastor Becky preaches, when Pastor Jenny preaches, they are not over. They are under my authority. Every healthy home has a papa's voice and a mama's voice. My children need not not just daddy's voice, they need mommy's voice. The church is the house of God. It needs a father's voice and it needs a mother's voice. The woman came from the man Bringing something to be a helpmate to the man. We would rob you, we would rob church, and we would rob life if we were this misogynistic, it's just a man's club here, and our wives are interchangeable. No, no, our wives are co laborers, they are partners, we partner together. William Booth empower women, we empower women. And the last one, numero siete. Oh, I love you, Pastor Becky. A dominion mindset, secular music. Comma, do you say belongs to the devil? Question mark. Does it? Question mark. Well, if it did, I would plunder him for it. For he has no right to a single note of the whole seven. Every note, every strain and every harmony is divine and belongs to us. I like William Booth. The mantle that we're picking up is the greatest arts and the greatest music and the greatest theater and the greatest Broadway and the greatest productions and the greatest events don't belong to the devil. The devil has hijacked Hollywood and he has hijacked music and he has hijacked the arts and he has hijacked entertainment. But we're a church that is taking it back. We're taking it back and we're using the arts for the glory of God. Johann Sebastian Bach said that all music is created for the worship and the glory of God. Leonardo da Vinci says that all art as, the, as its highest purpose, the edification and the glory of Almighty God. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Lift your hands high to heaven. Father, we thank you right now that we're picking up the mantle. Just say these words. Say, I am picking up the mantle. I'm picking up the mantle. Say one more time. I'm picking up the mantle. I want you to know the mantle that you, you picked up, it, it, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. What William Booth began, he didn't leave a monument. He left a mantle. The legacy is not something that is left. It is something that is imparted. We can be the salvation army of today, transforming the city. How do we transform a city, Pastor? It begins with allowing that power to transform you. I know that God can change a city because God changed my wayward heart. I know that God can transform a sinner into a saint because he did it with me. I know that God can transform somebody out of addiction into freedom because he did it with me. I know that God can transform somebody from hopelessness and helplessness and low self-image and low self-esteem into somebody who can believe God to do great things because he did it with me. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ, if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, friend, that's where it begins. Pick up the mantle today and let that power work first in you. It'll work first in you, and then it'll work in in the closest relationship. It'll work in your marriage. It'll work in your family. It'll work in your finances. But the power's got to work first in you. Let it work first in you. So if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I need to surrender to Christ. Pastor, I need that power working in my life. If that's you, would you just give me a wave of your hand? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Up the back. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just give me a wave. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you on the side. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer out loud. Let's say these words. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today. You so love me. You sent Jesus, your only son on a rescue mission to save my soul. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that my sin could be forgiven, wiped out. Today I am clean, forgiven because of you. I thank you, Jesus, when you rose from the dead, you conquered the devil and you conquered grave so that I can live free forever. In Jesus' name, amen.